Hello, Choose Love listeners. Welcome to the Choose Love podcast. My name is Scarlett Lewis, and I'm the founder of the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement. Our mission is to offer essential life skills and tools that help us connect in healthy and meaningful ways, to manage our emotions, to grow through difficulties and challenges we face in life, to make responsible decisions and more. We're not born with these life skills, but we can learn them at any age and they provide a direct path to finding meaning and purpose in our lives and to flourishing. And we need this now more than ever. Today, we have a very special guest and her name is Donna Cimarella. And she is a very dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, And also unfortunately a parent that has suffered the loss of a child in a horrific way. Uh, Donna, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Scarlett. Thanks for having me. It is such an honor to have you and you have done incredible things since the murder of your daughter, Marin Sanchez. Um, And I want to talk about being part of the solution and the issues that we face and how we can all get involved. But first, I'd like you to talk about what happened. Okay, so what happened is this. I um, was a single mom and I was raising my daughter pretty much alone uh, for 16 years. And um, from, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I guess I will. She was and is the most amazing young woman in the world and very independent and very able to take care of herself, which made my life very easy as a single mom. And I take a little credit for raising her that way, but not all of it because she really did come in that way. (laughs) And um, so she was very friendly and, and she had a way about her very similar to the way I was when I was her age. Um, as you know, Scarlett, as we get older, we become a little bit jaded with life and we become a little more hardened, but no, why age, would I know that? Oh, I just, I have no idea, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but she, she really, um, was very, very kind and people gravitated toward her because of her kindness and her acceptingness of everyone. And yes. she, you know, had a lot of different friends from different walks of life, which I was extremely proud of her for. And it's very unfortunate. But what happened basically is that in grammar school, she was friends with a boy named Christopher Plaskin. And I didn't, of course, know him because it's grammar school and they have tons of friends. And um, I guess as they both grew up, he was having some difficulties I'm not sure how, and, you know, now that the stories come out, he definitely had, you know, mental issues. And he basically latched on to Marin. And from what I can see, secretly kind of fell in love with her. Mm. And she really was just trying to be a good friend, you know. And there was no attraction as far as boyfriend-girlfriend for her, (laughs) And as time went on, um, I just have to say that I didn't know the boy. 
he wasn't one of the ones that was in the circle with her. So he had never entered my home. I had never seen his face, but once when I was driving by school and I picked her up. So I didn't really know him, but what I did know about him is that on more than one occasion, I had experienced situations with Marin where she had been very upset when I got home from work. And I would ask her about these situations and they always involved him. Mm. Either he was having a hard time and he was needing her assistance or it, it was almost like she had become his little personal therapist. And there was a couple situations, which I can't get into now because it would just take way too long. It's very interesting to watch how it developed, though. And when I did do my um, public speaking, I did do a timeline of what I saw and how it escalated to where it went in hindsight, of course. And um, and the whole and the whole time, though, Marin was trying to be his friend and trying to be kind and trying to help guide him. Absolutely. And be that friend that, you know, because I guess he didn't he had a couple boyfriends, but he wasn't popular, I guess. You know what I'm saying with the girls. Mm. And so Mm -hmm. for him to have someone like Marin, because she was pretty popular and quirky and fun and you know, cute. And for her to be giving him this type of attention, I'm sure meant a lot to him, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I'll just say that, you know, the, the climax happened when prom time rolled around and he clearly, well, maybe not, you know, I'm just saying this, but. And this was in high school and this was a senior, senior. Mm -mm. No, this was junior year. Oh, junior. Okay. Yeah, she didn't make it to her senior year, unfortunately. Okay. okay. Um, so he clearly knew that Marin didn't like him that way, or else Marin tried to tell him that. But in his mind, um, I guess he had other, you know, feelings and thoughts. So he had asked her to the prom, and I had come home from work, and Marin was really upset, really upset. And I was like, what's going on? And she said, one of their mutual friends, it was a very good friend of his and a very good friend of Marin's, encouraged Chris to ask Marin to the prom. And Marin was more upset with the friend than with Chris because this friend knew that Marin didn't like him that way. Mm -hmm. So it put her in an extremely awkward position because of her character, because she didn't like to hurt people's feelings. And she was very afraid of, of rejection, rejecting somebody where another girl might've said, you know, I don't freaking like you. You know what I mean? Right. But Marin didn't know. And he had apparently come with white roses and he was going to be coming to the house. And so Marin, when I got home, told me this and I was very, I raised Marin, Marin, very matter of fact. I didn't beat around the bush. I wasn't raised that way. I wasn't very too concerned about people's feelings getting hurt because I realized that you had to be very direct if you wanted to say no. So I just said to her, do you want to go to the prom with Chris? And she clearly said to me, no, mom, you know, in that very upset, I've already said I don't like him voice. Mm hmm. And so I said, well, then, Marin, the answer is no. And that's just it. And she listened to me. And I don't know how she did it, if it was over text or whatever. But she said, listen, I don't like you that way. I'm sorry, but I don't want to go to the prom with you. And at that point, she was going alone. 
So she said, I would rather go alone with my friends. And then we never heard from him again. She never mentioned him again, ever. And I just figured he was out of the picture. And another boy asked her to the prom that she really wanted to go to with. And and it was kind of another mutual friend, which probably put the icing on the cake. And she was preparing for the prom. We were buying dresses. We were ordering corsages. We were making hair appointments. She was excited. And about two weeks before the prom, I said to her, because she said she only had to go to school at 1030 to, till 1030 the morning of the prom. And I said to her, Jesus, Marin, that's so stupid. I said, stay home the morning of the prom and we'll go and have breakfast and you could take a nap because they had the after parties. They were going to be up to like six in the morning and they're not used to that. So I was like, just stay home with mommy. You know, I'll take the day off. And she said, mom, I can't. And I said, why not? And she said, because if we don't check into school in the morning, we're not allowed to go to the prom. And I thought, what a stupid rule, you know? But she went to school and she never came home <sighs> because he decided that if Marin didn't want to be with him, Marin couldn't be with anybody. And so he plotted and planned out to murder her. And when she got to school, I never saw it. And um, sorry about getting choked up, but I know. I never saw it. And I always wish like someday I will, but I probably could if I went to the police department. But for some reason, it just never, I was never pushed to really go see it. But from what I understand, she was at her locker in the morning getting her books out and he approached her at the locker and she's on video speaking with him. And then for some reason, probably the biggest question I have in my life is what he said to her to get her to go in the opposite direction of her homeroom. And she went through a stairwell with him and then the cameras were off and he, he killed her in, in the stairwell. And that started my entire journey without her. Yes. And uh, it's been a long road, but I really love what you said to me yesterday because as long as the road was and as difficult as it was, the post-trauma that we have, you know, turned into something that is extremely productive and helpful in society now. And so I have to say that through tragedy, I've come out the other side stronger and more aware of my surroundings and a better person. And I think that we both agreed that both of us have done that yesterday. And it's true. So that was April 25th, 2014. That happened at Jonathan Law High School in Milford, Connecticut. And yeah. I mean, I just, yes, you you have grown. You've been strengthened by it. You turned that tragedy into something that has tr- transformed and saved lives. And then you contrast that with... Christopher Plaskin, who is the, who was the murderer of your daughter, and he struggled with rejection. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like, you know what I mean? Like he could not get over the fact that Marin did not want to go to the prom with him and didn't share the same feelings. And even though Marin was 
kind to him. She didn't do it in a, in a hateful, mean, rejecting way. <laughs> she did it as, as kindly as she could. He still, he could not get over rejection. And <sighs> yeah. And I also think, you know, it's, it's it, a story was told to me by someone very close to him once. And, and I really saw that for what it was. It, it was trauma. He had, um, he had experienced trauma in his, in his life. And uh, he had experienced rejection before in his life. And what was that it, story? It, I'm just curious. Well, from what I hear, and I and I can say this and repeat it because I, it came from someone very close to the family, so I, I trust mm -hmm. someone wonderful. And what she had told me, there's he's one of five boys, and he's the middle boy, and his little brother was born with a defect. He was very sure. I don't really know what was wrong with the brother, but it was something that consumed the parent's mm -hmm, life. Mm -hmm. And I believe that he had done some hospital time and there was like, a, you know, it was really hard for the family. So from what I understand, Christopher was sent to live with an aunt, one of his favorite aunts. I don't know how long he lived there or if he went back and forth to the house. I don't, I don't know. But what I do know is that this aunt was the light of his life. This aunt brought light to him and gave him the attention that he needed. And then that aunt ended up dying of cancer. Mm. And many years later, not many, but maybe a few, he met Marin. And this woman said to me, and she told me this because she knew I could understand it because I don't think you could say this to many other grieving mothers. Mm -hmm. She said to me, Marin was that light again. Mm. He found that light in Marin. Mm -hmm. And when Marin pulled away from him, I think that was the last light he was going to let go. Mm -hmm. And I understand that it, crazy as it sounds, mm -hmm. I truly understand where his mental state must have been mm -hmm. to say, here's one girl that's been my best friend who I've been able to call and talk to and play around with and, and, and have fun with and laugh with. And now she's telling me she wants nothing to do with me. And, and for whatever happened in his mind, he decided that if I can't have that light, no one else is going to have that light. Mm -hmm. And he snapped and Marin unfortunately had to suffer because of mm -hmm. it. And I truly believe that that is the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And, and your compassion for him is incredible. But I, yeah, I've never once hated him, Scarlett, which is very odd. You know, I've never once, and I, and I'm coming from a female part, part, you know, because my ex-husband wanted nothing but horror for him mm -hmm. and that's very male driven. And that's not to say males are horrible. It's just, we react differently to loss. And I, not that I didn't want to see him punished, but I never wanted I, I never wanted bad for him. I just wanted him to go away. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to ever think of him again, mm -hmm. you know, which I have never thought of him again, except when I had to go in and out of court and see him. But I've never, he doesn't infiltrate my life. It's as if he doesn't exist. And I only exist with my daughter and her energy. And you've gotten to that point because of your compassion, 
because of your forgiveness. I mean, that's strength. And that's resilience. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it, it, it took a while. I mean, I've always been somebody who doesn't let things beat me up too long you know, whether it's a bad relationship or an insult, or I've always been able to jump back up and be strong. And I credit that to my very strong parents Mm -hmm. and my upbringing, but there are still some people, I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. I think you can agree with me. The first and second day after Marin passed, I wanted out of this world in a desperate way. And I would have done anything to be with her. And I was pretty close to leaving. But you know what? I had some strong people around me that pulled me back into reality. And it was probably about a week after Marion left that I looked at all of her friends in my house. And I said, listen to me, Marion might be gone and you can't see her, but we're all still here. And what are we going to do with it? And I pep talked those kids for about a year because I was like, listen, if I can do it, you're going to do it. We are going to make change in this world because no one took us yet. And from then on, I just said, listen, if I was supposed to go, I wouldn't be here. So I'm here. So let's just do something right with this. So in other words, you have a purpose. There's a reason that each one of us is here. And that gets us into the Marin Sanchez Home Foundation. Yeah. And I'm looking at the statistics page on here and it says the truth about violence and young people, nearly one in nine female teens reported experiencing physical dating violence in the last year. Mm-hmm. It says that 57.7% of children age one month to 17 years have been exposed to violence in the past year. I get goosebumps, not in a good way. 57.7% of children age one month to 17 years have been exposed to violence in the past year. Yeah. And then it says only 44% of all violent victimizations against females are reported to the police. mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can see how that can happen because especially when you're a teenager, I'll tell you, there was a month or so when I was, so the last year of Marin's life, I was changing as well. Uh, My business was getting successful. I was preoccupied. I was starting to feel that I needed some freedom, right? Because I lived in a small condo with one bedroom and I made the dining room my bedroom, which was separated by the rest of the little condo with a curtain. Mm -hmm. And I lived that way for nine years with Marin. So as you can imagine, I had no privacy and I was dating again and I was ready. Marin and I were both ready. Marin was a sophomore and she was saying to me, mom, because she had really great grades. She was saying to me, mom, can't I skip junior and senior year and just go right to college? Like she wanted to leave and not because she didn't love me. She was so like worldly and she wanted to travel and she wanted to go to school and she was so ready to like leave me. And I was kind of like, I'm ready. 
I'm ready for you to go to college. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to like live an adult life and not have, you know, to raise you. And, and it wasn't that I didn't want to be with her, but we were both in that sense we were so connected with our freedom and it was really kind of cool, but that tells you that I was pushing away from her mm-hmm, a little bit because mm-hmm. I was her main, I was her main squeeze. So, you know, when she was little, I was hugging and kissing her. We used to sleep together. I slept with her in my arms. I mean, she did not want for affection, but when she got to be about 15, I was really pulling. She was trying to hug me all the time. And I was like, get away from me, you know? And I think back about that and I'm like, oh my God, what I wouldn't do to like grab her. Mm -hmm. But then I said to myself, no, Donna, you did that for a reason because she was ready to start flying and you were both getting yourself ready for the day when she was going to fly. You know, you know what? I believe um, that. And I just want to share that Jesse was six years old and I had, he was with me the vast majority of the time. His dad got him one night every other week. So he was with me the majority of the time. But then the last couple of months, Neil, I just started to let Neil take him more. And he was with Neil a lot more. And I always felt like that was a little bit of separation for us because I couldn't let him go. He slept with me too. And we were just like one person. My mom used to comment like every single picture of Jesse and I were like almost intertwined. We're touching, holding hands. He's in my lap, Uh, every single picture. And then the last couple of months I was, I kind of loosened up a little bit and I, and I always felt like, you know, looking back, hindsight is 2020. I know exactly why I did that. But so I I just wanted to add that. Yeah, no. And, and that's absolutely, absolutely. And that's like, you know, more of what I think is so important to talk about is that instinctually things happened before they had to move on. Right. And When Marin came, her father, about three years before Marin passed, or no, two, there there was an incident when she went down to Florida to see her father. And I would not let her see him. And I said, no, you're not seeing your father until he straightens up his act. I cannot permit you to go down to Florida and be with him. So I kept her away from him. And you know what? She was fine with it. Because it what happened really hurt her and she was fine with it. And then she comes to me, Scarlett, the Christmas before she leaves. And she says, with my mother in the living room, who is, you know, the patriarch of the family. And she knew what she was doing because she made sure her nanny was there. And she walked out into the living room. And she said, Mom, I have to ask you something. And I said, what? And she said, I want to go see Daddy for Christmas. And my mother immediately gave the look on her face, like over my dead body. And I looked at her and I went, you do? And that was our last Christmas, Scarlett. And I said, really? I said, well, listen, you know who he is. You know who he is now. So if I let you go, you're not coming back early. You're going to deal with him because you're making this choice to go back. And she went, okay, mommy, it's okay. It's okay. 
my tickets paid for. And she was right. She had the rest of her family down there who she adored and loved. And just because her dad wasn't acting right, she didn't want to neglect not seeing her grandma and her grandpa and her cousin. Mm -hmm. And I let her go. And believe me, she went down there and there were some instances, but she dealt with them. And she came back and she said to me, mom, I want to go back for April vacation. And I went, okay. And she went back. But I said to her, but you have to be home for Easter. You've already been with him for Christmas. You need to be with your family up here for Easter. Mm -hmm. And she said, okay. And she came back and I picked her up. And when she got off that plane, Scarlett, she grabbed me and hugged me so freaking tight because I knew something had happened down there. And we had Easter two days later and five days later she was gone. (sighs) And what I can say to you is this. I gave her father a gift because he was able to see the amazing person she had grown into. And he got to see her, really see her before she left. And if I hadn't let him, I don't think I would have felt good about that. You know? So even then instinctually, I let her free to experience what she needed to experience. And I think she needed to experience that for her father and for herself before she was ready to pass on. So us moms know, you know, we do, we do things because that mother in us just lets it happen because that's why we're their mothers. And it's still to this day, like I said to you yesterday, the bond between us is so much stronger now because I know I'm her mom. It's not like when people are like, oh, Mother's Day, like, how am I going to talk to Donna? Just say happy Mother's Day because I will always be her mother because I will always make the right decisions for her even now. I think you feel the same way. I, I do. And we talked about the connection that we have with our kids and how it continues. It continues and it's almost it's as strong, if not stronger now. Yeah. And, and of course you and I have chosen to honor our children through our efforts at being part of the solution and, and trying to solve a problem that is growing worse. Yeah. And I know we don't like to, we <laughs> don't like to talk about that, but you know, I, I keep coming back to these statistics on your website. Um, in post-secondary schools, the number of forcible sex crimes on campus increased 262% between 2001 and 2015. And, uh, and listeners, uh, that has not gotten any better. That has increased. And it says uh, 79% of victims were raped before the age of 25 Mm. and 44% of women experience other forms of sexual violence. 
Uh, and then stalking 50 young people between the ages of 18 to 24 are the most common victims of stalking. 15% of women have been victims of stalking. 54% were first stalked before the age of 25. 61% were stalked by a current or former intimate partner. I have been stalked myself mm. um 25% were stalked by an acquaintance yeah and Marin was i mean <clears throat> that was one of the things that i really spoke about a lot because i know for a fact that Marin was stalked and it's so unfortunate for our kids today because when we were younger and we were coming up if a boy liked us and we didn't like him we could just like go home now with social media children are being watched constantly by other kids and there's just no way around it. You know, the, the phone is attached to their hand, like a part of their body. Right. And it's, it's 24 hours. Whole, oh yeah. I mean, it is with me. So I can imagine what it is for like a 14, 15 year old. And they're putting their entire life out there. I, thank God. Marin was not that big with her phone. It, it almost amazed me. I mean, she'd leave her phone in the room for hours. And I think this child is different because I would be like, where's your phone? I don't know. It's off. And I think, wow, yeah. that's amazing, amazing. Right. Cause she would do art and she would watch movies and she would learn things. So very creative mind. So she didn't like the infiltration of that or the, or the clicks that were going on either. She didn't fit into a lot of the clicks and it would disturb her that girls were talking bad about each mm -hmm, other and stuff. Mm -hmm. So she would take herself away from those situations and get, and get made fun of for it. You know, Marion took herself off the group chat mm -hmm. or Marion doesn't want to be with us. Mm -hmm, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was because she just didn't vibe with it. Her frequency was much, much higher. So those things would disturb her, but she was being watched. She, because they had a website. I don't know if it was a website or Instagram. I don't know what it was, but it's this special thing that all the girls go on before prom and they, they post their dress and their gown. And, you know, the other girls get to see it. And so do the boys. And I feel strongly in my heart that she was being watched and every positive, happy thing she was posting about going to prom was just raising the anger in this mm -hmm. boy. And it was just building and building and building in him because the happiness that Marin had about going to the prom was his demise you know, because he wasn't a part of it. And I think stalking had a lot. He did stalk her, though. I mean, there were a few instances when he absolutely did stalk her. But it's such a frightening feeling. But here's the thing. She didn't know. That's what's even more disturbing. She had no idea because he just went silent. And that's why I say to a lot of young girls and moms when I'm talking to them and they tell me that they've had a situation like this with their daughter, but that he just went away. I said, now you have to be afraid. When someone disappears and they go silent, that's when you need to be active because that is when something's going on. And I truly believe that if someone's obsessed with someone and they disappear, this is where your worry has to be. Because when someone goes silent, that means they're in their head and they're obsessing and something's happening. And I truly believe that that was what happened with Marin. Yeah, I think about my stalking situation and it was very kind of in your face, continuous. 
um, what can you do when, when they go away? I mean, you say that's when you have to do something, but what can you do? Well, I, so I had these certain situations with Marin that I was very matter of fact of, and I said, you know, you know, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to do that. Right. Well, one night, the reason why Marin, so Marin went to the school to report about this boy, right? And this is why I ended up in the middle of a lawsuit because of this one day. We were sitting on the sofa, I was watching TV, Marin was on the other sofa doing her homework. And I distinctly remember it, say it was, I was watching Game of Thrones on Sunday night. And Marin was on the other sofa, sitting Indian style with her computer in the middle of her leg behind me on the other sofa against the wall. And I had said to her, Marin, if you're going to do your homework, please go in your bedroom. She had a very, she had the biggest room in the house. Please go in your bedroom. And she said to me, no, 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 I could do it here. And I was kind of aggravated because I was like, I'm trying to watch Game of Thrones. You're doing your homework. Like, you know, you're click, click, clicking, you know, but I let her stay. And the next thing you know, I heard her text going off and it was making a noise. Ping, 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 ping. So eventually, and, and I heard her do this. She went, <sighs> I heard her do that about three times. And finally I turned around and I said, what is going on over there? She said, mommy, it's Chris. Now I had already had situations with her about him. So I got up and I said, what does he want? And she said to me, mommy, he said he's going to hurt himself and go off his medication. And Scarlett, I got so angry because what I saw in my adult mind was pure manipulation. So I got up. And, you know, I was like on the couch with like ripped sweatpants and t-shirt and not looking very good. Right. And I got up and I said to her, let me tell you something right now. You tell him that if he sends you one more text, I'm going to his parents' house dressed just like this. And I'm going to go have a talk with them. And she must've said something to him. And the text stopped. My biggest regret is that I didn't take her phone and look at what he was writing her. Because what I didn't know is that he was cutting himself. I never even asked her because I didn't care. All I cared about is that he stopped manipulating yeah. her because I knew how sweet she was. And I knew how distraught she was about what he had just told her. And all I thought to myself is he's freaking doing this to get attention. And I was 100% right because he didn't kill himself. He killed her. And I should have went to his parents' house. I should have gotten the car. I should have drove to his parents' house. And I should have showed him the phone. And I should have said, you need to get your son help. But I didn't. You see? So that manipulation is what I based my foundation on. Because I realize that manipulation can turn deadly especially when someone who is so kind and so afraid of hurting someone's feelings, they become prey when you have that kind of attitude. 
because you don't really stand up for yourself because you're so manipulated that all you care about is helping someone else, never thinking in a million years, you're going to get hurt. And so the next day, I had some friends over for dinner and they were, they were friends that like their kids were friends with Marin. Like we were all very close. And for some reason, it, it, this must've happened on a Friday or Saturday because everybody was over on a Sunday. And I said, Marin, tell, tell everybody what Chris said to you yesterday. And one of my friends is an attorney and she told him. And my friend who's an attorney said, Donna, she needs to go to school tomorrow and report this. And I said, really? And she goes, absolutely. He's threatening his own life and he could be dangerous. She needs to go and you need to go with her. So the next morning I got up and I didn't want to go. And Marin was like, you know, 16, like she could handle this. So I sent Marin to her guidance counselor. Well, I didn't realize how afraid and how intimidated and how nervous and how scared Marin was. Hindsight, I should have taken her by the hand and gone with her, but I let that kid go alone. So I will forever be sad about that. And she went and she reported it. And I called her counselor and I called his counselor to confirm that Marin had gone and what was going to happen. And they just told me, don't worry, we handled that. Everything will be fine. And Marin came home and I said, how'd it go? And she said, he wasn't in school, mommy. He wasn't in school today. And I go, oh, okay, that's a good thing. And for about a week and a half, every day I would say, Marin, did you see Chris? And she was like, no, mom, he's not in school. I heard that he was like getting help or something. And I go, see, Marin, see, you did the right thing. Now he's going to get some help and hopefully everything will be okay. And, and that's great. And one day I said, Marin, have you seen him yet? And she said, I did. And this is before he asked her to the prom. And she said, Ma, I did. And he came up to me and he said, he thanked me for helping him. And I go, oh, Marin, that's really good. I'm so glad you did the right thing. Well, she did the right thing, but the counselors at school didn't. They never reported it to the principal. They never reported it to the teachers. They never reported it to the security guards. They never reported it to the vice principal. They only called his parents and his parents took him out for a little bit. And he was sent back to school with no doctor's note, like status quo. Did he get help during and that time? Did his parents get him help? I have no clue. No yeah. clue. I have because no you're clue. not allowed to know. No, I have no clue what happened. All I know is he was gone. He came back. He was not evaluated by anyone. He was just let right back into school. He asked Marin to the prom. She said no. He planned to kill her. That's the end of and the story. And then there's the small problem of him asking a teacher how long it takes somebody to die when they slit their throat. So he asked his best friend that. Okay. Okay. I thought he had asked a teacher. Nope. He had asked his best okay. friend that. And um, that boy had, whew, you can only imagine. Um, oh, wait. So hold on. Let, that me, boy, let, me, let me rephrase that because I don't want to put off any teachers. So Tyler, please take that out. But so he asked uh -huh. his best friend um, uh -huh. about details and, uh, uh, you know, how, how long it would take a person to die after stabbing them. That's right. And I didn't know that until his best friend told me 
in my house. He came in, he was like, Donna, this is the, th-. he had said things. And I'm like, what, what did he say? And there was a couple things he had said. And, and then he told me that. And, and so a lot of my, uh, in a lot of my, my talks, I concentrate on the bystander because I realized that there are so many of Marin's friends that will forever have to live with things that they mm-hmm. saw or knew. Mm-hmm. But of course, why would a 16 year old ever think in a million years that their other friend is going to come in and kill their other friend? Right. You yes. know what I mean? So the kids are absolutely not to blame, but the awareness needs to be taught. If he had had the wherewithal and the knowledge and said, wait a minute, I need to go report that to the principal. It's quite possible that Marin might mm-hmm. be here. So, and, and the guilt that that kid has to, or had to, I hope he's okay now and I love him and I forgive him because I, there's nothing to forgive. He didn't do anything wrong. He just heard something and thought, well, that's really weird. But he, you know, and he said to me, you know, Donna, he said, I was sitting in my classroom because, of course, when the news came that somebody had gotten hurt in school, there was a complete lockdown and they were all locked in their classes. And this particular friend was in the classroom where right outside the window they were putting Christopher into the cop car. And he turned and looked and he said, Donna, the minute I saw him in the cop car, I said, he hurt Marin. Mm. So there's a lot of work to do with these young kids and teaching them to be aware of what people say and the actions that people take, because they can, if, if it, if it doesn't, let's put it this way, it's all about intuition. If it doesn't sit right with you, then it's not right with mm-hmm. you and you need to report that. And if someone tells you, do you have any idea how long it takes for someone to bleed out? If you stab them in the throat, you got to know that doesn't feel right. Right. To you. Right. And you have to have the confidence to, to, to identify what you're feeling, to trust the discomfort and then, and then to have a trusted adult that you can tell things like that, know who to go to. I I love your mission statement. It says we educate and empower girls and young women to defend themselves against emotional, psychological, and verbal manipulation and physical violence. Mm Mm-hmm. And I have actually been to one of your workshops, which was incredible. Thank you. We, we literally like uh, you, you had a trainer and you talked about different situations that are, that could occur. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought it was absolutely amazing. And you have online curriculum too, that, uh, which is new. There's a little Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because it's like a COVID curriculum, right? So when everybody was home Zooming in their pajamas with their coffee during COVID, we threw something together. There was work put into it, but we really did throw it up there because we just wanted something. We wanted something that people could look at or if they were having a problem with their kid. I mean, it's it's wonderful what's up there, but like I said, it, it really is a COVID curriculum because it was one of those things like, let's do something 
something. Let's video something. Let's, even if it's at home and it's natural and the lighting isn't perfect, let's put it up there so there's something. But what I did want to say to you is, because I love talking about the foundation and, and it really was my baby for six years. And, but unfortunately, you know, our hands really got tied during COVID and we were, we were at a halt with everything, with our online, I mean, with our um, self-defense classes, with my talks and our workshops, everything had to stop. And it's been going on a year now that we could really do nothing. So we are definitely in um, communication with other organizations to hopefully have them adopt our mission and carry on, you know, our classes in the future. It's not set in stone yet. So the reason why I'm saying this is, is because I know there's a lot of parents out there that want this Mm -hmm. information for their Mm -hmm. young people. And I, in the future, I'm absolutely going to be doing speaking engagements, but I won't be running the classes anymore, but we will be notifying the public of what we're planning on doing in the near future. But the website is still available for information. So I, I invite people to go take a look if you have, you know, teenage girls, because there's some really good information there. And there's a really good um, refer references, you know, to go to different sites. So I just wanted to make that clear because I know that a lot of people call me and say, you know, we really want to do something in Fairfield school system. And, this, and so right now I'm not doing that. So I just want to make sure that people know that because I don't want to give like false information that we're out there teaching self-defense because we're just not able to do it right now. But I definitely have contacts for instructors that are doing a one-on-ones if anybody's interested. Yeah. And so the website is Marin Sanchez Home Foundation. And and Donna, mm-hmm. for, for those who are listening who just would kind of like the fundamentals, where do they start to keep their daughters safe? Well, the first thing that I do, um, and I'm, I was so, you know, uh, how everything just happens and falls into place when you know that you're in the right yes. space. And so I was so unbelievably blessed to have a beautiful friend, Honoria Sierra, which is a police officer for the um, uh, uh, the campus at, um, oh my gosh, in, New, in, in West Haven. Oh my God. I can't even think of the name of it now. That's Wait, crazy. it's a college the, in West Haven? The, yeah. Let me see. Hold on. It's totally like boom, went out of my Let's head. See. Hold on. I'm looking it up. Hold on. Uh, University of New Haven? Is it University of New Haven? Um, I, I think so. Oh my there's God. There's Southern it's Connecticut so State. There's Yale. There's Gateway. Albertus Magnus. No, it's, it's, it's UNH. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 UNH. So she is on campus there and the chief of police on campus, crazy, was the, um, not the chief of police, but what's under the chief of police. Uh, Assistant. Assistant Chief of Police. That's good. (laughs) She was the Assistant Chief of Police in Milford when Marin was killed. And then they transferred her to UNH. Her name is Tracy. Wonderful. So Tracy and Honoria got me to do my very first speaking engagement at UNH. And it was extra credit for the college kids. And there was faculty there. And there was teachers there. And I did my first talk there. And... I was hooked up with this amazing professor, 
Professor Leela Dutton, who specializes in unwanted pursuit and stalking. And I went into her office and I had a conference with her and told her what I wanted to do. And she got her students to come and she works like in the Dr. Lee, Henry Lee unit. I mean, she's really smart. And she said to me, Donna, have you ever read The Gift of Fear? And I was like, no. And she's like, go get it. It's a great book. Go get it. Amazing book. The Gift of Fear. So, and the author is Gavin DeBecker. And I went and I got it and Mm -hmm. I read it. And I based all of my talks around the first chapter in that book. And I have them downstairs. I have a whole case. And that book opens your eyes for young women and middle-aged women and college Mm -hmm. students to be fully aware of your surroundings and to be fully aware of how people are acting Mm -hmm. around you. And if anybody is interested for their child or for themselves to have that book until my case is finished, I would happily send them to anyone. So I would start with reading and making yourself aware of the dangers out there. Unfortunately, we want to all live in love and peace and rainbows, but that is not this world. And I think that if you're educated, especially when you're going to get ready to leave high school and go on a college campus, if you don't know what time it is and you don't understand that there is a danger to you on that campus, you are living in a dream world. And this book will open your eyes. It won't make you afraid, but it will make you Mm -hmm. aware so that if you're in a situation one night at a party, you're going to go, wait a minute. I remember Mm -hmm. reading that book. I am not doing this. And I am offering that to any of your listeners that would like that book. All they have to do is email me. I'll give you my email at the end and I will put it in the mail to them this week because I want as many people to read this book so that they have the information they need to keep their children safe. Wow, Donna, that's really generous. Thank you. You're welcome. So uh, reading the book and just gaining an awareness and, and, and you can also do that by practicing being present and, and that helps you be aware of your surroundings, um, and not just going bliss, blissfully through life. <laughs> We're trying to create a world where people thoughtfully respond with love, right? But until we do that, which is, which we're hoping will take a generation or two, we do have to be aware and things do happen. And people, um, you know, I always say that the vast majority of mental illness is cultivated and, and, uh, uh, nourished on, you know, in a negative way throughout life. Um, I don't think that Marin's murderer was born a murderer, but he experienced Mm -hmm. difficulties and he did not have the skills and tools to be able to manage them and to grow through them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, well, I don't think I know that one of, so the, the, the her self-awareness talks, that's what we call it, that I did, was really my baby of the foundation. I love the physical aspect of learning how to defend yourself. But for me, it all came down to intuition. For me, I felt this way. You are born with an innate intuition. You are born with it. You can read people. Babies don't like to hug certain people. There's like babies cry when they see certain people. There's, there's something about a baby when they come in, they have it all. And what we do is we unteach them. 
So by the time they're 12 and 13, they're not acting off intuition any longer. They're acting off of peer pressure. They're acting off what their parents it's like, want Donna, them to be. Donna, be nice. How come you're not hugging that person? Go up and hug that person. Absolutely. I don't. I don't care if you don't feel like it. You do it anyway because you're going to be nice, right? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And and that's the generation I came from, right? I came from you know the minute we well, we came from an Italian household. When you come into somebody's house, you kiss them. Total right. strangers. You kiss them because that's what we do. And you don't let anyone leave your house without hugging mm-hmm. and kissing them, which is a beautiful thing, Scarlett. But when someone doesn't want to and they're forced to at five and six, well, what do you think a 13-year-old girl's going to do when a 50-year-old man yeah. wants to hug her? Right. She's going to let him because that's what mom right, told her to do. Because that's the nice thing to do. That's the nice thing. And if you don't, you're, you're mm-hmm. disrespectful. So, and girls are taught completely different than boys. Let's just face it. They are. Mm-hmm. They're taught to be, you know, serving and sweet and, mm-hmm. and quiet and not be heard and just sit there and give someone a yep. second chance. And, oh, you really don't feel that right. way, you know? And so I was teaching the girls, listen, when you feel a certain way, you have to trust it. And I always tell everybody when I'm talking to them, I wasn't there, but I promise you from the bottom of my soul that when Marin was walking through that door into that stairwell, she was feeling dark. There was something not right. You cannot feel okay when someone is behind you with a knife and you don't know it. She knew it. She knew it in her blood that she shouldn't Mm -hmm. go through that door, but Mm -hmm. she did it because maybe he said, Marion, I just need to talk to you for a minute. I'm Mm -hmm. really depressed. There was something he said that she felt it's worthy to be late to homeroom because Mm -hmm. he needs me. And I know she didn't feel Mm -hmm. it in her blood. And if she had been maybe taught, at 10 and 11 and 12, this feeling you are feeling is correct. Go the opposite direction. She may have said, I'm not going, but it wasn't cultivated in her. So if we can cultivate that in our young people, when you feel it, Mm -hmm. you're right. Don't let anybody tell you that you're wrong when it comes to your gut feeling. And I truly believe that if all of us listened to that, you wouldn't have had some of the bad relationships you had. I wouldn't have had some of the bad relationships I had because I would have seen it from the beginning and I would have listened to it and I would have walked away. So that's my message. It's all about intuition because if you can follow your intuition and believe in it and stand firm in it, you can avoid a lot of dangerous situations. That's that's an amazing message and it's not something that we normally think about. And I, I think that everyone who's listening is walking away with an awareness that they probably didn't have before, but that they can talk about that they can use within their own families and that they can perpetuate because it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, And you know what the funny thing is, is that I was always like the kids, the kids, the kids, the kids. And what I realized after like speaking in public for like a few years, it's the parents. Mm -hmm. 
that's who I need to mm-hmm. reach the parents. Because if someone had reached me, Scarlett, and had told me these things, I would have been like, oh my right. God, I got to talk to Marin about this. I wasn't even thinking about these things. And we are, we are the ones that mold our children and they mirror us. They just do. And if we have this knowledge and our child comes up to us and says, mom, what do you think about this? And you turn it back on them and say, how are you feeling about it? How does it feel in your gut? How does your heart feel when you hear that? What is your mind telling you? And give them the opportunity to feel themselves they'll always Mm -hmm. make the right decision. I love that. I love that. Wow, Donna. Thank you so much. Thank you for for sharing your story. I know that it's hard and painful to this day. (laughs) I know the story. Um, But I love that you have taken it and you have turned it into something that has helped so many young girls and their parents to be much more aware. And that is going to continue. That's going to ripple out. That's amazing. And uh, I'm, I'm just so happy to know you and, and that we're friends. I love you so much. The feeling is mutual. And can I just say one other thing? So it was literally, Scarlett, four days after Marin passed, I was still like in bed and a package was left at my door. I'm going to (laughs) cry. So get ready. I opened that package and your book Mm. was in it. And I absorbed that book like I was the driest sponge that had ever been left on the counter. I read that book probably in a day and a half. And I just laid in bed and just read your book. And I went, (laughs) I have to meet her. Like, I have to meet her. And here's why I had to meet you. First of all, I, everything mm-hmm. in your book resonated with me on, on the highest level. And I said to myself, she has it worse. Mm-hmm. I have to see her because she's going to help me because she has mm-hmm. it worse. And the reason why I know you have it worse is because I had 16 mm-hmm. years with Marin and I couldn't imagine And people look at me and say, Mm -hmm. they can't imagine, right? That's how I looked at you. And I said, I can't imagine. And when I met you, it was Mm -hmm. kindred from the beginning. And you were part of that healing process from Mm -hmm. the very beginning. And I just had to share that with you because that is the God's honest truth. And your book was sent to me. Someone's heard you speak. Mm -hmm. You even signed it. And I just knew that that was a message that had to resonate with me over time. Mm -hmm. And it did. And any single time that I would fall down on the Mm -hmm. floor, hysterical crying, I would always get back up and go, Mm -hmm. but Scarlett, but Scarlett's doing it. Scarlett's doing it. And I'm going to do it. So thank you. 
Yeah, I remember when we first met and I remember how important it was for me early on in my journey. I just remember sitting on the couch and I had to think of a scenario that would be worse. And I did. And and it wasn't a real life scenario, but it was a made up scenario. And uh, and I think it's important to to know that someone always there's always a scenario that's worse than the one that you're in and somebody's already gone down that journey and gotten through and turned it around and learned from it and grown from it and was strengthened by it and it's difficult but it's possible and so you've done that for me just so you know that Donna and I, I, you know, so now we're in this relationship where we love and support one another. And I'm so grateful for that. I am too. And we'll always have each other. I really, really am. Yeah. Yeah. Always, always. And the circumstances that led us together were not the ideal, but it's just part of the bigger plan, right? And the bigger journey. So I'm all for just moving forward and making a positive change and staying in your own truth and not letting anybody else sway you from what you believe. Absolutely. I I believe that with my whole heart and we'll continue on our journeys and continue being strengthened by them and using what we've learned and translating that into making the world a safer, more peaceful and loving place. Absolutely. And if anybody is going through what we're going through, I think they should really remember after they get past that horrible time that they should remember what you said yesterday. Let's change the the, the dialogue on this and let's call this post-traumatic yes. growth because that's exactly what it is. And I will live by what you told me yesterday because that sentence is Yes. Yeah. That the vast majority of us, when we go through difficulty, experience something called post-traumatic growth. And that is when we simply grow through difficulty, roadblocks, challenges in our lives. And we haven't heard of it before. It's out there. It's been researched because of our negative bias and the way that we normally focus on the negative. So we all know PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and we know it. We know what it is. We look for signs. But in reality, um, it's okay to, to know about that and to be aware of it. But we should also be aware of how difficulty can help us, how it can strengthen us, how it can teach us lessons, how we can come become better people because of it. And that is post-traumatic growth. And that is the journey that you and I are on. And that is the journey that we want to put others on as well. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Donna. You are so welcome. And I look forward to talking to you again. Yes, absolutely. We will. And thank you all. Thank you to the Choose Love listeners. Thanks for being on the journey with us and loving and supporting us and, and, uh, and helping spread the message of what we're doing. Uh, it's important and it's a movement and you are a part of it. Uh, you are the life and breath of the movement, in fact. So thank you all for everything that you do and most of all for choosing love. 
It's all part of us We can all choose love It'll lift you up If you let it in Let the healing Thanks for listening to the Choose Love Podcast. Our positive, empowering messaging is reaching millions of people all over the planet. Join the worldwide movement to choose love. Our programming is in over 10,000 schools, homes, and communities across the country, in every state, and over 112 countries and counting. We are giving individuals of all ages the essential life skills they need to flourish. You can be part of the solution, too. We have sponsorship opportunities available that help support us and enable you to share in helping create a safer, more peaceful, and loving world. Contact me on our website, chooselovemovement.org.